Welcome to Abergavenny Baptist Church, building faith and friendship. The Bible reading is from Luke chapter 16 and verses 1 to 9. The parable of the shrewd manager. Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job, and I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I will do, so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, How much do you owe my master? Nine hundred gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it four hundred and fifty. Then he asked the second, And how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, Take your bill and make it eight hundred. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself, so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Okay, so we're continuing our series, uh, which we started before Christmas, entitled Parables Jesus Told. Uh, This is where we're looking at those parables, those pointed stories, those stories that make a point uh, that Jesus told in Luke's Gospel. And today we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 16 and verses 1 to 9, where Jesus tells the parable of this shrewd manager. Now, what is going on over here? I mean, what is this parable all about? Because it seems uh, as though Jesus is commending the very dishonest, shady business practices of this shrewd manager. I mean, first of all, he's caught basically stealing from his boss and he gets fired. And then second, he quickly defrauds his boss to further his own interests by making these big reductions, these big discounts in all, for all his boss's debtors, sometimes up to 50%. And then Jesus says, let him be your example. Uh, so what, what's going on? I mean, really, is Jesus really commending uh, these dishonest, shady business practices? Of course, uh, this parable has been an embarrassment to sensitive Western Christians for for many, many years, and so commentators have come up with a great explanation. So many argue that this steward, this manager, was actually acting justly when he gave these discounts because what he was doing was either one, he was taking away the massive interest charge, which the Old Testament you know, didn't allow. The Old Testament said you're not allowed to charge interest. And so he was acting justly. But if that's the case, then his boss is a partner in the crime. His boss is also doing something wrong. His boss is the one who's charging the interest. And it also seems unlikely uh, that these were interest charges because the amounts are just too big. I mean, the, the one, he was charging 100% interest. And so it just seems too big a amount for it to be an interest charge. So, he, so the second explanation is that what he was actually doing was taking away his huge commission. But again, this seems unlikely because, like I said, the amounts are just too big. 
and no one gets 100% commission. And, um, and again, if you look into that cultural context, you will discover that the manager, the agent, would get a fee, but it was a nominal fee, and it would be included in the bill. Of course, there could well have been a lot of payments to the agent under the table, but these wouldn't have been included in the bill. And there's nothing in the parable to suggest that what he was taking away was either interest or his commission, so we kind of left with the problem. So is Jesus really commending these dishonest, shady business practices of this shrewd manager? Well, I'll relieve you of any tension by saying, I don't think so. And we need to remember that this is a parable, a a pointed story, a story that's making a point. It's not some kind of moral teaching that we must just imitate. And so we need to find out what what is the point that this parable is actually making. And to do that, we need to examine uh, this, this parable. So we read in verse 1, Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. The, the rich man most likely is, is a landowner. He owns a whole lot of real estate and he has a manager, an accountant, uh, an estate agent who is managing his portfolio on his behalf. And it comes to his attention that his manager is ripping him off, wasting his possessions. We're not told exactly what he was doing, but the implication is that he's embezzling. He's living the high life at the expense of his boss. In other words, he is stealing from his boss, and now he has been caught. And so we read in verse 2. So he called him in and he asked, What is this I hear about you? That's a good strategy from a boss. What is this that I hear about you? Now, the manager knows he's been caught, but he doesn't know exactly what the boss knows, and he doesn't want to slip any information that the boss might not know. And so he merely keeps quiet. He doesn't say anything. The boss says, Give an account of your management because you can not be manager any longer. Now, when he says, give an account of your management, he's not asking for an explanation. He's not asking for an excuse. He's effectively saying, turn in the accounting books. You're fired, now hand hand in the books. And at this point, you kind of expect the, the manager to start protesting his innocence, to accuse everyone else of doing things wrong except himself. How often when we get caught red-handed, all of a sudden our default is to protest our innocence and start blaming other people and other things for our mistakes. But surprisingly, he just remains silent. And and he, he admits his guilt by simply remaining silent. Now something else we should take note of Uh, we mustn't miss this, and and the original hearers wouldn't have missed this, is that this boss is actually being unusually merciful. This manager has been caught stealing. The original hearers would be expecting that this manager would be thrown into prison and forced to pay every single last penny. But he's unusually merciful. He just fires him. And so we learn a lot about the boss. The boss is one who who expects to be obeyed, 
who secondly, there is judgment for disobedience, but thirdly, is unusually merciful and generous. So we read in verse 3 and 4, the manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I will do. So that when I lose my job, people will welcome me into their homes. So all of a sudden, this manager is panicking. He, he suddenly realizes his job's been taken away. He's fired and he knows no one will employ him as a manager once the word gets out that he's been fired for embezzling. And he knows he won't get a good reference. He's too skinny to do manual labor, digging, and um, he's too ashamed to be begging. I mean, someone, an educated man like himself, a white-collar worker, is too shameful to be begging. And this is when he suddenly gets his brainwave, his, his great idea of how he can get other people to look after him, how he can become a long-term resident guest in the houses of people of his own social class. His boss's debtors. And it's a genius plan. You see, his boss is, is renting out land. And um, he's renting out land to these very wealthy farmers who have huge farms. I mean, these are not peasant farmers. We can tell this by the size of their debt, the size of their rent. And they would pay their rent by giving a fixed amount of the produce. And this manager manages those accounts. And so he's got a very small window of opportunity. You see, before the word gets out that he's been fired, and before he's got to hand his books in, he's got a very small window of opportunity to act. And he has to act immediately. And so we read in verse 5 and 6, so he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Verse 7, then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. So he gives these very big discounts, these huge reductions. I mean, the one is 50%, the other is 20%, but they both kind of work out to the same amount. It's about 500 denarii. Now that is more than one year's wage for an average worker. So it's a huge discount. It's a very generous discount. And it just comes out of the blue. You see, sometimes a manager, the agent, would reduce the, the bill when there's been a bad harvest, when there's been a drought. He might reduce the bill a little bit. But this has just come out of the blue for no reason whatsoever, and it's a, a huge discount. It's an extremely generous discount. And so naturally, these debtors are extremely grateful to this manager for organizing these generous discounts. And in an in a honor-shame culture, these debtors are now indebted to the manager. They owe him a huge favor. And public honor demands that they return that favor. 
So he's got them in his debt. But the plan is still risky. He's still going to go back to his boss and hand in his accounts with the alterations. And of course, when he does this, his boss has two alternatives. As soon as the boss gets the accounts and he sees the alterations, he will immediately know that down in the local village, the celebrations and the parties have already started. The whole village is celebrating in his honor that he is now the most generous landlord who has ever rented land in this district. The party's already going on. And so he's got two, two alternatives. One, he can go back to those debtors and tell them that his manager was fired and that those discounts are null and void. But then he knows that their joy will turn to anger. And they will accuse him of being the most stingy landlord who has ever lived. And this would bring incredible amount of shame upon him in that honor-shame culture. Or he could just save face, remain quiet, receive all the praise from all the people, and let the manager get away with his plan. Of course, in that culture, there really is no choice. And the manager, the, the, the boss, looks at the accounts, looks at the alterations, reflects upon it, and then turns and says to the manager, you clever little scoundrel. You see, we know the boss is a generous guy. He, he's already shown his generosity when he didn't throw the guy into prison. The manager knows his boss is a generous guy and he risks everything on the fact that his boss is generous. And so his boss chooses to pay the price, the full price, for his manager's salvation. And then he, we read in verse 8, the master commanded the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. It's dishonest. He is still called the dishonest manager. And, and he's still fired, by the way. <laughs> so the, 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 the boss is not commending his dishonesty, but he's merely commending his shrewdness, his cleverness. Look, the ethics are low... <laughs> But the plan is genius. I mean, it's pure brilliance. Now, of course, for us, as Westerners with lots of sensitivities, we find it quite shocking that Jesus would use such a scoundrel as an example of being shrewd. But I think for a, a Middle Eastern peasant, they would find this story pure delightful. Purely delightful. We must also realize that Jesus is using what is often called a how much more argument. A how much more argument. And this comes out at the end of verse 8, which is the, the whole point, the point of the whole parable. And he says at the end of verse 8, For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of light. Now the phrase, the people of light, is referring to his own followers. So effectively what he's saying is if, this, if, if a, a dishonest scoundrel like this manager can show so much shrewdness, how much more should my followers act shrewdly? If such a, a dishonest person can be so shrewd, how much more should my followers uh, be shrewd? Okay, so we need to be shrewd. I think we kind of get that. We need to be wise. 
But how? In what sense? And this is where I think the story has a number of levels. As most stories have a number of levels. You have the very practical level, and then you have the theological level. We'll look at the, the practical level first, which comes out in verse 9. Jesus says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself, so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. This dishonest manager had been using all his influence, all his power, and all his wealth for himself. He was living the high life at his boss's expense. He, he was selfish. He was greedy. He was self-centered. Uh, uh, he worshipped money. And as a result, he had no friends. You see, nobody likes a stingy person. And all of a sudden, he realizes that his money's gone. He's been fired. He's got no money. Money's gone. Money will never last. Money will run out. One day, you'll discover it's gone. And money cannot provide true, lasting security. And so in the nick of time, he acts shrewdly to make friends who then welcome him into their homes, into lasting homes. It, they offer him true security in life, lasting homes. That's the meaning of eternal dwellings. And they can look after him. And Jesus is saying, if this dishonest scoundrel can act so shrewdly to make friends and gain lasting security in life, how much more should honest people use their money and their wealth to help people and make friends and gain lasting security in life by being generous? And don't wait until it's too late. You might not be as lucky as this dishonest manager. Start using your money and your wealth now. Be generous now to help other people. And make friends. Do you know, did you know of anyone who's a really, really generous, truly generous person, and they've got no friends? I don't. How, how come no one likes him? How come he's got no friends? Oh, it's just because he's too generous and people hate that. No, of course not. People love generous people. And when you start helping other people when they're in need, they're more likely to help you out when you're in need. Your wealth will fail you. You see, if you put in all your security and your wealth and you trust in your wealth to look after you, your wealth will fail you. It will be gone. Either it will be gone in this life or it will be gone when this life comes to an end. But it will be gone. And you can't take your money with you, but you can invest it in eternity by using your money, using your wealth to help other people. See, most of us kind of think, well, it's my money, uh, and my money is all about creating earthly dwellings for myself. A nice house, a nice car, nice clothes, nice comfortable life. 
earthly dwelling. Yet Jesus says, use your wealth to be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Eternal dwellings. By investing in people. You see, this manager one day woke up and it was a crisis. All his money was gone because he was fired. One day we will come to the realization all our money has gone because we've died. And then, will we be welcomed into eternal dwellings? Have we invested treasures in heaven? You see, if we don't take an eternal perspective on our finances, we're not being shrewd. We're not being wise. In fact, if you're just focusing on the here and now, you're being very foolish with your finances. So let's have an eternal perspective on our finances. Let's be shrewd. But then there's also the theological level. You see, no first century Jew listening to the story about a rich landowner will not think that the rich landowner in somehow, in some way, is a symbol for God. The God of justice and mercy. And we, of course, are the dishonest manager. We would like to think we sort it, or at least that nobody will ever find out that we've got away with it. But one day God's going to say, what have I been hearing about you? And at that point, we need to act shrewdly by not making feeble excuses And like the dishonest manager, having the foresight to realize we need to put all our trust in this unusual mercy and generosity of God. Putting all our confidence in the fact that He has paid the full price for our salvation. We need to be honest about our dishonesty. We don't need to make any kind of excuses. I mean, if, if, if this dishonest manager didn't make any excuses, how much more should we not make any excuses? After all, God already knows. But also look what it says about God. When we're honest about our dishonesty, He doesn't reject us. He doesn't call us out. He accepts us as sinners. And he even pays the price for our mistakes. That's incredible. That is something really incredible about God. That he loves even this dishonest manager. And he loves us. See, it doesn't matter what you've done in the past. It doesn't matter what you will do in the future. But if you put your trust in God's mercy and generosity, then He will forgive you. He will accept you. He will pay the price for your dishonesty because He loves you. So a couple questions for us to reflect on. Have you put your trust and confidence in the mercy and the generosity of God? Are you being shrewd 
with your wealth? Do you use your money for yourself? Or do you invest your money in other people and ultimately in God's kingdom? Are you generous with your money? If Jesus set your budget, what would be different? Let's spend a few moments just thinking about those questions, reflecting on them. Don't move away too quickly. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that you do love us. Even, uh, even at times when we are like that dishonest manager and we, we make so many mistakes and stuff, Father, you still love us and call us. And you call us and accept us, but you call us to a better way of living. And Father, we, we, we have to confess that we struggle. It doesn't come easy. It's easy to talk about it. It's easy to say you come first. It's easy to say you're in charge of our finances. But Father, if we actually look at our budget, if we actually look at where we spend stuff and how we use our money, Father, we confess this often, it reveals that our heart is somewhere else and not where it should be, that you are number one. And so, Father, we pray uh, that you would forgive us for that, and we pray that you would help us by your Holy Spirit to empower us to let you set our budget and make some changes so that we can truly invest in people and invest in your kingdom, invest in eternal things, and have that far sight rather than maybe be short-sighted and just looking after our own comfort. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about Abergavenny Baptist Church, please visit our website at abergavennybaptist.co.uk.